1: Coming up on today's show, another tragic mass shooting in the United States. 19 children dead at a Texas elementary school. We'll get the latest from Reggie Cicchini. Also, what's going on in Ukraine? We're now at the three-month mark. Who's making gains? Who's losing? How might this end? And baby formula shortages are now a thing in Canada, too. Right now, continuing with your calls and the discussion around... What happened in the United States yesterday? But before we do that, let's get uh, Reggie Cicchini in. He is the global reporter who's in Texas right now covering this story. Um, Reggie, thanks for joining us. Just Just bring us up to speed. What is the latest? I know there was a number of news conferences this morning. What's the latest that we've learned?
0: So, Shay, good morning. The latest that we've learned is that we know 19 students died in this shooting, along with two other adults. We know that, uh, according to hospital officials, that there still is uh, a number upwards around four students that remain in hospital one is in serious condition one adult in their 60s is also in serious condition we know that there have been uh, talks amongst political leaders in washington about how to be able to move forward with this but because this is such a sensitive topic in washington what we saw take place, uh over the last 24 hours is likely not going to lead to any kind of massive changes when it comes to gun legislation
1: that's the thing reggie i mean i i heard i can't remember who it was one senator saying this morning yeah there's zero chance there's zero chance that anything will pass here it just seems i mean those two sides are set and that we're not going to see any compromise at all on this we haven't for years right?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, Democrats will will say, look, we've been trying to get some kind of Republican support here to to put forward meaningful uh, uh, legislation when it comes to things like background checks and red flag law, uh, red flag laws. Uh, But at the same time, you'll hear someone like Chuck Schumer, the Democratic majority leader saying we're not going to put a show vote up right now. This is not the time to simply put uh, a vote on the floor solely. So it looks like we're trying to do something when it's ultimately just going to fail and it's going to take time away from being able to do other things. That's the political side of this. There's also still the very real side of this uh, in Uvalde, Texas, where 21 families uh, are, are trying to deal with the fact that they are now preparing for funerals when so many of these families were trying to prepare for graduations into middle school.
1: Yeah, and Reggie, I mean, just talk about the fact that we've done this so many times, right? I'm sure this isn't the first mass shooting that you've traveled to cover, and now you're in Texas covering another one, and there's almost a playbook on this now, isn't there?
0: Well, I mean, look, this is, this is the second mass shooting this country has dealt with in the last two weeks with Buffalo still with, yeah, with Buffalo still fresh uh, in everyone's minds where 10 people were killed in that incident. But when you look at this at a much more broad scale, there's a a nonprofit organization called the National Gun Archive. Uh, They document anytime there's a shooting with four or more people either wounded or dead, there have been 216 of those shootings since January 1st alone. More mass shootings in America than there have been days in the year and yes there is a playbook there will be talks about politics there will be calls for thoughts and prayers and there will be this dramatic push from both sides in order to try and get something done or to get nothing done and arguably this is simply just going to go on to wash rinse repeat and this will happen again unfortunately this is how the cycle goes in a country in the only country on earth that deals with this kind of gun violence
1: yeah that, that, that's the mind-boggling part of it reggie thanks so much for the update appreciate your time going to have a discussion about what's going on in ukraine it's now three months since um a little over three months actually since it started the invasion um began and uh there's been all kinds of discussion about you know russia failing and the ukraine uh, really impressing people and uh, let's just get an update on where we stand now we're going to chat with david perry david is the president of the canadian global affairs institute uh, thanks for joining us david appreciate your time Good to be with you. So let's just get an update, a status report, if you will. Um, I I, I keep hearing that Russia is really focusing on parts of eastern Ukraine and southern Ukraine, but they've pulled out of some of the larger cities that we heard about earlier in this conflict.
2: Yeah, I think that's a a pretty good uh, high level snapshot. Um, So in the early days of the, the war, the end of February, the russians had moved in uh, basically kind of three three different lines of advance uh... one in the south kind of up from uh, crimea uh... previously ukrainian territory that seized in twenty fourteen pushing uh, up to the west and to the east, and a little bit to the north. There's a different line of effort in the east, uh, the, the eastern part of Ukraine. Uh, again, 2014, the Russians had moved to foment a uh, separatist rebellion there. That's largely where the, the fighting still is uh, today. And then there was also a northern axis, so down down from basically Belarus in towards the capital uh, of Kiev, as well as other cities um, around there. Uh, that's really the, the the main line of effort uh, where the, the Russians were pretty much thoroughly stopped mm-hmm. uh, and pushed back entirely. So their forces are out from around uh, the capital. They suffered uh, an enormous number of losses, lots of tactical defeats, um, f- failed uh, attempts to seize airports, and a whole bunch of problems there. Uh, and since, uh, for about the last month or so, give or take, they've really concentrated uh, on the eastern part of the country.
1: Um, in terms of, like you were saying, you know, the setbacks and, and some of the, the, the failures they had suffered throughout, the course of course, this conflict, um, how what have we learned about the russian military because i think the the impression that i think a lot of us had i certainly had was they would roll through ukraine facing very little resistance and you know they're a superpower and all the rest it hasn't worked out that way have have you been surprised by all of the problems that they've encountered
2: yeah i'd, say I'd be surprised in, in a couple ways uh, one it certainly reinforces the idea that they're not omnipotent uh, i think that's a, a statement that goes for anyone um The United States military is the most powerful one on the planet, Uh, but if it acts with bad intelligence, plans poorly, and executes worse, you can't expect it to be successful. And that's basically what the Russians had done uh, initially. They they rolled in with, uh, literally rolled down the highways into Ukraine, particularly around the capital, which seemed to be on the on the basis that uh, they wouldn't really face stiff resistance, uh, that they could just uh, go in with a a relatively small number of, of lightly armed units. over uh, very long distances uh, relatively speaking take that territory uh, and be able to seize and hold it without problem which is really kind of insane uh, in lots of different ways um Totally misestimated uh, mm-hmm. the reaction from the Ukrainians, for one, uh, totally underestimated uh, I think, the difficulty <clears throat> in actually doing that. Uh, and I think they also ex- didn't really have a good handle on the competency of their own forces. I think mean, the Russians have had some kind of basic uh, tactical, operational um, uh, problems in terms of how well they can do uh, proficient fighting serious issues in terms of their uh, logistics in places, uh, issues with command and control, issues with morale. But I think it's also important to keep in mind that what they were doing initially uh, was both ill-advised and very difficult. What they're now doing in the eastern part of the country is, I think in a lot of ways, kind of more more sensible from a, a military tactical uh, point of view, okay. as well as being more of what the Russian military was, was built to do, which is to put uh, large numbers of forces, armor with tanks, um, uh, armored vehicles, and combine that with artillery, other long-range rockets, and be able to use those in a coordinated fashion. The long-distance, quick um, sprints down the highway that they did around Kiev is basically kind of the antithesis of what they would built their military to do.
1: Interesting. So um, are you anticipating then they'll have a better go of it from here on out. Where do you see this conflict going from here?
2: I think it increasingly looks like this is something that's going to continue to grind out along, um, unfortunately, for a, a long period of time. I think quite interesting to see just in the last week um, some comments from Ukrainian officials about the number of losses the Ukrainians have, have suffered and are suffering. Mentioned that they are losing, you know, 50 to 100 um, uh, killed in action a day. Um, you know, for for context, uh, Canada didn't lose 200 people uh, in the entire decade, plus we were in Afghanistan. Um, so those numbers of losses are, are fairly high, And we, uh, for one. So that indicates that the, the Ukrainians are, are losing significant numbers of people and there's also been some reporting that they've lost a lot of um, a lot of vehicles a lot of their own tanks as well. Uh, a colleague of mine uh, retired lieutenant general uh, Mike Dade made the point that uh, about a mu- uh, up to about a month ago the Russians just themselves had lost essentially the entire equivalent of the British army's total holdings of of vehicles. So wow this is very heavy fighting it's going on on both sides and the russians have certainly taken some significant losses but i think the ukrainians have been as well um and i think the the type of conflict that's emerged in the east right now is something the russians are better suited to doing uh we are still trying to ramp up uh, the ukrainians ability to take the fight to the russians and kick them out of their country um, providing them with more weapons and training to do so but getting that newer, especially Western equipment in there, getting them trained up on that is something that's going to take time. So I think, unfortunately, this is something that at least uh, in the East is going to continue to grind along for a while.
1: Is there any indication of how it may end or what the resolution may be? I mean, that's sort of been the question, you know, do we just let this continue in Ukraine? Does it expand? Does it go further? Is there any more uh, understanding, I guess, of how this might ultimately resolve?
2: Doesn't seem to be yet. Um, on one side, you've got the Russians, um, you know, even with their extraordinarily carefully managed information environment domestically, pretty hard to put much of a gloss on how things have gone um, so far. Both, you know, the Russians losing a few tens of thousands of, of soldiers, depending on which estimate you think is most credible. Um, pretty high by Western standards. Yeah. Um I, for the Russians, I mean, the Russians are have a different mentality in uh, other conflicts, Chechnya, Georgia, Afghanistan. Before that, they're, they're used to losing um, numbers of troops that would, uh, you know, I think be totally uh, unthinkable for the West. So losing a few tens of thousands of people is something that they have done in the relatively recent past, but it's still a lot of people uh, beyond that. You know, as you've seen pictures of, uh, if you're watching any of the footage on TV, they've lost a lot of gear, uh, both. Uh, having it be abandoned um, and the Ukrainians blowing it up. So they've taken some pretty heavy losses and I, and I think you know that there's a bit of a face-saving dynamic as well as a strategic uh, dynamic to what they're doing because the East and the South combined hold a lot of the key commodities, minerals, sources of energy that Ukraine produces and then the Southern Territory along the Black Sea uh, and that coastline is strategic territory because if you want to get that stuff to market um, it's much easier to get it out by water. Yeah. And Right now what Russia's done is effectively cut off um, ukraine from uh, water shipping access on the ukrainian side they've beaten back the the russians in the in the north and now they are getting uh what is a truly remarkable amount of western military support uh so i imagine if i were them that they think that uh if they can uh, keep to this long term that they could win this
1: wow wouldn't that be something uh david thank you so much for your update i appreciate your time Great to talk to you. That is David Perry. David is uh, president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, giving us the latest breakdown on what's happening. Uh, A couple of updates to that discussion. Russia says they are ready now to provide a humanitarian corridor for vessels that are carrying food to leave Ukraine, uh, if if the West will lift some of the sanctions. So that's the proposal from Russia right now. In terms of what Canada is doing, uh, you may have missed the announcement yesterday. Our Minister of National Defence, Anita Anand, announced a whole lot more support for the Ukrainian military.
3: I can confirm that Canada has purchased over 20,000 rounds of 155-millimeter artillery, which is NATO's standard artillery caliber. This package will also include fuses and charge bags at a cost of up to $98 million. These rounds are compatible with artillery guns provided by Canada and our allies. Canadian aid continues to flow into Ukraine and we are working around the clock to identify and provide even more military aid to Ukraine with the $500 million that we announced in budget 2022 for this purpose.
1: So the Canadian support for the Ukrainian military continues and uh so does the conflict. Right. So you've probably heard all the stories about baby formula and what's going on with baby formula. And most of them, at least initially, seem to be coming out of the United States. They were having a huge problem with baby formula shortages all across the U.S. Uh, Joe Biden had to do some things to uh, try and increase the supply. They're getting shipments in from Europe. But it turns out we're having similar problems Um In Canada as well. So let's find out what's going on. We're going to chat with Michael Von Masso, who is an associate professor at the Department of Food, Agriculture and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: So, yeah, I mean, first of all, what is the situation in Canada? Are we experiencing huge shortages of baby formula?
3: I, I think that the shortages of baby formula in Canada are a little more localized than they are in the U.S., but uh, we are seeing some places where there isn't as much or isn't any on the shelf as we would normally expect there to be, uh, and and that's partly for the same reasons as in Canada uh, as in the U.S. Frankly, and partly for, because we heard the news that there were shortages in the U.S. and people started to buy right. Uh, and, and started hoarding this stuff just to just to make sure that they didn 't run out
1: okay, so aside from people panic buying and hoarding baby formula, what is the reason for this shortage what's going on why i mean i 've never heard of this before, and all of a sudden baby formula is in short supply right across north america
3: well it, it's actually we've we heard sort of about sort of episodic shortages of different products throughout the pandemic. This one is a little bit different uh, in in the u s uh there was a large plant if i recall correctly it was in michigan that was shut down uh from a food safety perspective by the fda uh for the for the short term that meant production went down uh across the, uh, so the, uh, product availability went down across the us so resupply was more slow and and then again they probably had some of the same hoarding behavior as we had here in canada uh, so it was the fact that a plant got shut down, and you don't just, with the snap of a finger, particularly with the degree of concentration there is, uh, that means there's not that many plants, you don't automatically replace that supply. My understanding is that that plant has opened up again, uh, and, uh, and, and that things are getting better relatively quickly. Uh, but it'll take some time for it to get back onto the shelves.
1: Okay, so the end might be in sight. Um, the other angle to this, and I know uh, one of your colleagues was talking about the fact that we have uh, a formula-producing plant in Canada, but none of the formula it produces actually stays in Canada? It all goes to China?
3: Yes. Uh, so a Chinese company built uh, a plant in Canada, in eastern Ontario, that plant produced has produced for the entire time of its production exclusively for the chinese market and so uh, it's using canadian milk Uh, they've had uh, issues with formula with formula produced in china in the past there was always demand for international formula so a chinese company built a plant here uh, and exports it all uh, it exports it all to, uh, to, to the international market. We have other products which that happens for, too. We have, we have uh, uh, a pork plant, uh, I believe a pork plant in, in Alberta, that produces almost exclusively for the export market as well. So it's not unique to formula. It's sort of who owns the company and, and where they establish their market.
1: Interesting. Okay, so um, short term, there's still going to be some pain, but things will get better as we go along.
3: Yep, especially if we buy what we need, and and it it's never gotten as bad in Canada because we were uh, we we were always an export market, and we I mean an import market, and we imported from from a variety of places. The 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 plant in Michigan that was shut down is up and producing again, so I would expect that relatively quickly. Uh, we will see product on the shelf uh, and and widely available. We'll probably see excess product on the shelf because the people who bought a whole bunch will have to burn through what they have in their pantries.
1: Okay, there you go. So just just hold on. Help's coming. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for the update. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate
0: and review us.